All right, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast, ladies and gentlemen. But before we get to our guest, I have something exciting to tell you. If you love listening to the Crypto 101 podcast, um, you know, you're, you're getting two episodes uh, a week. You're hearing about crypto experts and learn about their companies and projects. Well, guess what? Now you have the opportunity to hear from 47 of the top crypto experts for a full jam-packed three days where they will discuss what they believe to be the best crypto opportunities for the year. And it's all happening during our Digital Currency Summit. Okay, it's a virtual event. It's hosted by Pizza Mind, a.k.a. Aaron Malone, and myself. And guess what? Your ticket to attend is totally free. Um, so to reserve your free ticket, just go to digitalcurrencysummit.com and click the link and go sign up. It's all done there. And, and you got to do it now because you don't want to miss out on this event. And we really can't wait to see you there. Again, it's digitalcurrencysummit.com. All right, everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Crypto 101 podcast. Pizza Mind here. I am rolling solo today, and we have an amazing guest with us. We have with us an anonymous, that's right, an anonymous figure from crypto, which is not a bad thing at all, and we're going to explain why in just a moment. But I'd like to welcome to the show Mr. Huff House from Reimagined Finance. Huff, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Thank you for having me, and good evening from London. It's a pleasure to have you. So the first question on everyone's mind, we're just going to address it. Why be anonymous? Why is it so important to you to not just put yourself out there like most other people? Yeah, so Reimagine Finance, we have a fully doxed developer who initiated and, and started the project. And if you like, I'm, I'm the kind of maybe number two, number three guy on the project. My rationale for being um, for being anon at the moment is just because there's so many scammers in the crypto space, and given that I oversee the investments side of things, a lot of people know that my profile is the profile that oversees the treasury. And with that in mind, we saw some early people trying to create fake Telegram handles, fake Twitter addresses, etc., trying to swindle people out of their money. Now, if you're fully doxxed with an image, for whatever human psychological reason, it's a lot easier for people to fall for those scams as well. People just trust somebody that's got an image that looks like the person you think that you're dealing with. So that's the first thing. I never want anybody to get rugged. I never want anybody to get scammed. And if that means hiding behind an identity or a digital avatar myself, then fair enough. The second thing is because I have a public profile already. And um, even though I'm full-time with Reimagining Finance, I'm just not ready on a personal level for the overlap between the two identities at the moment, just because they are very, very different, everything that I've done in the world of finance and then everything I'm doing right now. So even though I'm full-time on Reimagined Finance, I'm just not ready to tie a link to everything uh, that I'm doing in, in real life as well at the moment. Um, having said that, I am doxxed to our developer fully, and he knows who I am. Uh, he knows where to find me, and if anything ever happened uh, to me or to the wallets, he knows who uh, who and where my wife is, and, and she has access to everything. Okay, there we go. So this is not just a matter of privacy. There's actually a lot of strategy behind this. 
And in addition, you know, if someone's trying to hack the treasury, they don't know who you are, or where to find you as well. So that that's another, you know, great thing that you've thought of. I remember you mentioned that to me in a previous conversation we had. And you, you touched on something there that I want to expand on. You mentioned, you know, your other identity in the world of finance. Can you give us a little bit about your background without giving yourself away? So it makes more sense why you've decided to do what you do. Yeah. So I think e- even if I give a couple of pointers, it'd be fairly easy to to find out. So I worked for a big investment bank in London. I was on the equity derivatives trading side. So think about call options, put options, and then all the exotic variants of that um, on major indices. So think FTSE, S&P, etc., Eurostoxx 50. I did that for a large number of years, and then I switched over to a sales role. They needed somebody that could bridge the gap between understanding trading and risk management, but then also speak to the C-suite of investors, so CIOs at some big family offices and asset management firms. And ultimately, they were my clients. So if they knew who I was, (laughs) um, if they knew I was Huff, they'd be able to to make the link very quickly. Makes sense. And uh, we definitely don't want to harm any of those relationships or have bank accounts affected and all that stuff, which is still a reality in this day and age. I know for my fund, I recently reached out to a lot of major banks, seeing if they've changed their tune about opening accounts. And all of them said, no, we will only service. Actually, all of them said no, except for one. And they said they will only service exchanges and mining farms. That's it. So there is one other there is one other rationale and it's quite it's quite a horrible thing to say but there are physical attacks on people when they know that you're a signatory on a multi-sig or that you control a wallet um you have seen in real life attacks going up over the past couple of years and I think you know it's a, it's one thing if you're a developer working on a contract it's another thing if you're the person deploying capital in farms that's unfortunately true um, especially if you know you're, you're traveling, uh, people can definitely spot you. So we wish you nothing but the the best and wellness, of course. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing. You, you left the world of traditional finance, presumably. I don't know, but you're spending your your full time now on this reimagined finance project. What is reimagined finance? Sure. So reimagined finance is a farming as a service protocol. Now, I say those words as if the sector's been around for a long time. It's really not. The first provider in this space came about only three months ago, and Reimagine Finance was only launched 53 days ago. So farming as a service is effectively this model. You have people that have crypto assets, let's say in Ethereum and USDC, and for a long time, they've just sat on those assets. Now, where we come in, is a lot of people want to earn yield on those assets, but don't necessarily know how to do that. Or they don't know how to risk manage those positions, where the best protocols are, when to take profits, etc., when to compound. So it's a fairly simple model. People buy the reimagined finance token, ReFi, on Uniswap. It's an ERC-20 token. And when they do that, they get exposure to the farming strategies that we deploy. The farming strategies, let's say uh, you invest 10 ETH today, a portion of that will come into the treasury. We will farm on multiple chains like Avalanche, um, Arbitrum, Phantom, etc. And then the yield that we generate from our farming strategies, whether it's stablecoins, LPing, or more high-risk plays, we return directly to users via a decentralized app on the launchpad that they can just quickly look into and claim their distributions. That sounds awesome. So how do you decide 
what's a good yield play versus something that is garbage? So that's quite a in-depth process, and it's a process which we've really built out over the 53 days that we've been around. So the portfolio splits positions into low risk, medium risk, and high risk. So in the low risk bucket, we have all our stablecoin strategies. So think optimizing the yield that you might receive on USDC, USDT, DAI, etc. Those kind of stablecoins, which are a large part of the crypto ecosystem. And there, ultimately, where the yield comes from is effectively by supplying your asset for people that demand stablecoins for whatever reason. They might have a demand for leverage or they might have a demand to, to borrow against an asset, take a loan, whatever it might be. That yield can vary anywhere between 10 and 100% APY, just depending on the protocol you use. And I can touch upon which protocols we decide to use. The medium risk bucket is full of positions that are liquidity providing. So we'll take a pair like, let's say, um, ETH USD, and we will provide that asset in equal measures to an exchange of some sort. And whenever anybody trades on that pair, let's say ETHUSD on a decentralized exchange, we'll earn a percentage of the swap fees or the trading fees, and that will be compounded. So there is a big incentive for us to, to enter those kind of LP positions and provide liquidity. And then in the high-risk bucket, we have some more interesting stuff that we do, private sales, perpetual swaps. We have uh, positions in a couple of, uh, couple of Olympus DAO-style DAO models, etc. So how we choose a protocol is broadly similar across low-risk, medium-risk, and high-risk. The first thing that we do is look at protocol safety. That's by far the most important thing. And so to do that, we would take a look at their audits. We would look at places like rugdoc.io or defisafety.com. We'd review the code. We'd see how long they've been around. Once we're comfortable with the protocol from a safety perspective, which is always number one, then we do some analysis on the yield. How stable has that yield been? What is the TVL? What is our projected returns? And how long do we expect those projected returns to last for? The third thing that we look at is volatility, which is, is somewhat tied to the second point. We want to be sure that we're getting the yield that is advertised, and we want to be sure that we can execute that in a, in a low-cost way as well. And then there's a couple of other metrics. So preferably, and now given refi size, preferably we would have a relationship with the protocol directly that we're investing in. And that means speaking to the founders, maybe getting some prefer preferential terms or getting early access to pools. And that's been our way of operating so far. So it's quite a quite a long process. I've documented it in a few Medium articles as well, how we think about risk and how we put on a trade. And those Medium articles go into a bit more depth about how we exactly do that. That's great. Now, you mentioned rugpole.io and defisafety.com as places Rug that... Yeah, doc, D-O-C. Rugdoc.io. Rug yeah. yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And these places kind of help you see if the protocol is legitimate? They're full of... Yeah, they're, they're basically developers who have reviewed all the code. It's almost like crowdsourced developers who wow. have reviewed the code and um, yeah, give their opinions and, and their insights. And It's by no means the only uh, thing to look at, but it does give you a bit more safety. When well, that's tremendous. I mean, we didn't used to have these tools, I mean, even uh, a year ago. So that's amazing that we, we've got people who are willing to dedicate their time to that now. So if we look at the world of yield farming, I mean, it really itself is only like a year old. It started with urine finance. 
um, and their vaults, and then it quickly expanded. We had all kinds of other things, and it didn't really take off the way I think a lot of people expected it to, perhaps because it's more of a a market-neutral strategy, and you know people are still trying to swing for the fences with some of their holdings and all these crazy meme coins coming out. But um, if you go to somewhere like, uh, you know, I'd say a lot of these platforms have already come and gone, fallen apart, but Yearn is still around, and there's another one, uh, Harvest, which is there. But you look there and you see so many different choices and pools, you don't really know where to put your money. So I guess that's where farming as a service is coming in, because you're going to make these decisions for people. And that takes us through, I guess, the... I guess this is the creation of DeFi 3.0 is what some people are saying. Can you describe in your own words, what is DeFi 1.0, DeFi 2.0, and now 3.0? Yeah, so DeFi 1.0 in my mind is when I fell down the crypto rabbit hole, especially the DeFi rabbit hole. And that was just slightly over a year ago. So I'd I'd say that was 2019 and the DeFi summer that... um, that people refer to. And effectively, what started DeFi 1.0 was the idea that you could have decentralized lending and borrowing markets. So for a long time, if you wanted to either earn interest on your assets or borrow assets, you would go to a bank, a centralized entity. When things like Aave and Compound came about, the real innovation there was that you could supply an asset, let's say your USDC, and earn some interest on that from borrowers directly and they were just an intermediary taking a fee similar kind of model with with compound as well and then you would earn your rewards in the native token the native token had value because it was extracting a percentage of the fees for every swap that took place on their protocol so what ended up happening was a bit of a tvl war where different DeFi protocols would pop up all the time to attract tvl with these super high apys you would see capital flock to to a, uh, a protocol everybody would farm and harvest that native token and then they would dump it and move on to the next uh, shiny new thing and it was called DeFi summer because you saw plenty of projects which which kind of would 100x overnight and then get dumped to zero as the mercenary yield farmers moved from farm to farm so that was that was DeFi 1.0 and Ultimately, a lot of people lost a lot of money there. Not only were there rugs and scams in there, there was a lot of whales who effectively controlled price action and whale groups who knew exactly what they were doing, which uh, which farms to enter. They were coordinating price action, dumping everything at the same time, and a lot of people left holding the baby. DeFi 2.0 was more interesting for me from a timing perspective because if we cast our mind back to May of last year, Crypto basically had a summer lull and Bitcoin and ETH were trading, you know, 50 to 60% down from, from their highs. We had this kind of really choppy price action and not much was happening. But in the midst of all that, Olympus DAO had kickstarted this DeFi 2.0 model, this idea that you could have a reserve currency and it had value as long as everybody staked their position. And if you did that, based on the the kind of uh, game theory behind it all, the treasury could constantly mint their token at a discount with a delay of, let's say, five to 10 days. They could effectively bring assets into the treasury. And from those assets, they could also sell um, and provide additional new tokens to, to existing stakers as well. So the whole model relied on people minting 
at a discount and being happy to not receive their tokens for five days. The treasury ultimately gaining a mark-to-market gain because they hadn't paid out to these people yet. And then in the interim, the stakers on the other side of that holding and earning these, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 100,000% APYs. And so the names that were popularized there are... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Olympus Dow and then Time Wonderland. That model's come under a lot of pressure, um, as we've seen, and I would say to I would go as far to say that it's failed in its current form. And so, where we're at today, DeFi 3.0 is admitting that the world of farming is complicated. And there's very few people that know exactly what they're doing in this space. But the product market fit is absolutely clear. There are so many people who don't even put their ETH on deposit to earn a basic 5 to 10% yield. And that for me is like the gateway to DeFi farming. If you're not doing that, then you're just taking directional price exposure to ETH. You're not even earning any interest on that. So it begins there and it goes really down the degree of of complexity and what refi does and we're by no means the only provider although we're we're pretty much the largest pure play fast uh provider we we do all of that for you us in the the farming team and we make it as simple and as transparent as possible so timing the crypto markets is hard right no surprise you do tons of research to invest and, and then you just end up being down 20 percent the next day sometimes why? Who knows? Maybe it was due to an unexpected sell-off that you never saw coming or some liquidation cascade that you just didn't have you know, enough margin for error there. And whatever it is, I just see too many investors falling prey to one problem. Um, and it's just not diversifying their portfolio enough. And no, buying Ethereum instead of Bitcoin, to me at least, that's not diversifying. Tons of elite investors are adding other alternative assets like multi-million dollar blue chip art to their portfolios. And the secret to doing it is masterworks.io. Okay. This investment app has turned paintings by icons like Picasso and Warhol and even Banksy into investable products. Look, since releasing their beta three years ago, they've securitized $350 million of art and over 300,000 investors have signed up. Okay, many of them happen to be my listeners. So to discover the power of art investing, head over to masterworks.io slash crypto 101. Again, that's masterworks.io slash crypto 101. It's very important as well. Take a look at the disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. And we're also going to link to those in the show notes. So if I wanted to be part of Reimagine Finance, do I need to go stake my ETH somewhere or a bunch of other tokens or how does it work? It's even simpler than that. So the way that the smart contract works is you would buy the refi token on Uniswap and there is buy and sell taxes, which are symmetrical. 
So currently, as it stands, there's a 12% tax. So let's say you buy 10 ETH worth of refi tokens, 1.2, so 12%, 1.0 ETH comes into the treasury, and we would farm that on multiple chains as described. The other 8.8 ETH is ultimately given back to you as refi tokens. This is a token which has a free float, and it ultimately trades with a market cap of just over $60 million as as of right now. And that token itself has value because your holding of refi tokens allows you to connect your wallet on the uh, DAP. Once you connect your wallet on the DAP, your refi token count comes up. And there you can see exactly what the market of your refi tokens is, which, which increases as price action takes place. But more importantly, all your claimable distributions in ETH are available there for you to just in one click claim there's no staking involved or anything like that whenever we generate yield in the farm we then send let's say 100 200 300 eth whatever it might be as as yield generated to a dividend tracker wallet that is prorated per your token supply that you hold wow so it's basically a way to earn like passive income in ethereum which is unbelievable uh the other thing that was really interesting is this refi token model I mean, most tokens you like buy low, sell high, rinse and repeat. But because of this tax, it really doesn't make it economical to do that. Plus, the token functions almost like an LP token, where it represents a share of a pool. So, I mean, you don't trade your Uniswap LP tokens on the open market. You just kind of sit there and hold it and try and accumulate more shares if, you know, prices go down. But that's super interesting. So the in- how- the incentives are, are super interesting um, because by buying and selling, ultimately what you're doing is is providing capital for the farm, and the rationale is that we can generate a much higher yield than you could on on that ETH. But if people want to sell the token, and that's that's totally fine, the sell tax also bolsters the treasury as well. So our long term holders really understand that if tomorrow there was price action and everybody decided to sell refi for whatever reason our treasury could ultimately double overnight and we would be farming with double the size treasury and our project would be even more valuable so the price would ultimately is flawed at, at, at a certain level and the price would go up and correspond with the book value of our, our assets like you said you, you're ultimately also buying an lp token and a, a share of uh, a farming pool that's Really interesting. So how did you become involved with Refi? And what was it about this project that attracted you to join it over so many others in the space? Yeah, so if I if I cast back to my banking career, so I left that in 2019, and I ultimately became a free agent enjoying my financial freedom where I was earning passive income from DeFi. And I was loving that. You know, it was a very privileged position to be in as a person. So I had spent the last two, three years just doing things that I love doing, um, reading, writing, traveling, etc., whilst spending a lot of time just keeping up to date with DeFi developments. Now, when Reimagine Finance launched, and they were, like I said, no, by no means the first project in this space, well, the, the real innovation that ReFi did was to pay your distributions in ETH. And that appealed to me because no other project had done that. There were other fast projects which paid you in the native token that they had launched. So imagine you were earning more refi tokens. 
But that didn't make sense because what would happen is as people earn those native tokens, just like farming, you want to sell them. You want to crystallize those gains and make some passive income. So what I really like about the innovation that ReFi did, and I was an investor uh, first in ReFi, is they had this really nice looking dashboard, simple and easy to use. They had some really epic Twitter spaces and they had this uh, ability to earn your passive income in ETH where me, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm ETH denominated, I think, in terms of how much ETH I have. So I really liked all of that. And when I found out that MathDroid, our lead developer, was fully doxxed with a LinkedIn and a public GitHub, etc., I realized he was also a member of Developer DAO. So for those that don't know, Developer DAO is an NFT-gated community for people that are building in Web3. And I'm also a member of Developer DAO. And there's a very limited number of people that can be developers. So I reached out to him on there and I was like, dude, I love your project. Love what you're doing. This is my experience. If you need somebody to really scale the farming stuff, we should have a chat. And from there, it was just a real bromance. <laughs> it was it was marrying up, um, almost too good to be true, my skill set, what I had been interested in, and then a team of, of eight or nine people who really wanted to build a billion-dollar business. That's fantastic. One of my favorite things about ReFi is that community, which you came from, which I came from. So full disclosure for our listeners, I'm a big holder of ReFi as well. It was one of those things that really just felt right in my gut from day one. And the more I did my due diligence and research, it just continued to impress me. MathDroid's an amazing human being. So yeah, it, it makes sense. The same same story over here. It's just it's just an amazing stuff that they're being built over there. Can I can I just add to that as well? Yes. To my to my earlier point about having that financial freedom, I didn't want to give my time to anything that didn't excite me fully, that I could immerse myself in fully. And at no point was I hesitant to jump on board Reimagine Finance because when they launched, they said something. They said, we've got a fixed supply of a billion dollars. We're not going to pay reflections in a native token. We're not going to have an inflationary token. We have a billion tokens because we can hit $1 per token and we can have a billion dollar market cap. And that vision was so clear to me because I, I really believe that this is at minimum a billion dollar business in terms of market cap. And and so for me, it was just so exciting to execute this in a way that differentiates itself from every other Uniswap project. And the way that we have done that, and this is, this is coming from the team, not just me, is to be super transparent on everything we're doing. Yeah. And being super transparent with how you look at your business, it basically says anything under a billion dollars is a good value for this token, according to its founders and holders. And creators. So that's pretty interesting into and of itself. And only a $60 million market cap at the time of this recording. So something to think about. Can you give us some advice just on risk management in general? There's a lot of people that are just getting into crypto or have been in the space for maybe six months. And they've their first token was Doge. Their second was Shiba or XRP. And you know, they heard it from a friend or from Austin Kutcher or Ashton Kutcher, whatever his name is. And, you know, that was their entry to crypto. But no one ever sat down and told them how to build a portfolio or manage risk of something going to zero. They're just – they treat their crypto tokens like a sports team. They're just all in, all about it, super excited. Can you give us just some basic advice on how to not lose our asses in this space? Yeah. So – 
your answer depends on how much you've got to invest. So if you're somewhere between kind of zero and 10K and that's what you're looking to invest, then you need to invest with high conviction in two or three things. And to have high conviction in something, it means really doing your research, getting to know the founders of the team. And you'll be surprised in the world of crypto, because it's so decentralized and is such a flat hierarchy, you can reach out to the founders fairly quickly. You can join the Telegram, you can join the Discord, and you can really get a sense of the pulse of what's going on. Are these guys in it for the short term? Or are they really, truly committed to building something? And once you get that conviction and you've done your research, really just don't diversify. Put yourself in two or three bets that you really believe in, assess the community, and take profits when you can. That's going to really scale your your returns. If you've got a portfolio slightly bigger than that, I think you can think with a slightly more institutional mindset. And what I mean by that is you want to start thinking about building diversification across different strategies for different market scenarios. So I would have your plays, which are going to work really well in a bull market, so long-only exposure. And then I would have your plays, which work well in a more neutral or bear market scenario, which I would say refi fits into that category there. Something that earns you passive income is risk managed itself and you're effectively earning an APR or an APY, which will cushion price movements to some extent. So if price can go down 30, 40%, you're not too worried because in the meantime, you've been earning these three, 400% APYs on, on swap fees or, or whatever it might be. Um, just a word of caution, you know, Charlie Munger, he always says, what makes me better than 99% of other people is just that I avoid the mistakes. And I think rather than look for the for the the 1% of gem advice, the, the, the real solid thing that will differentiate your portfolio is to avoid the common mistakes. So be very wary of Twitter influencers. These are people who have been given or airdropped a percentage of the supply of a token. They're in it to elevate the price of that token for a very short period of time, and they will dump it on you. There may be exceptions to that, one or two, but the more that I've spent time on crypto Twitter... I've just realized there's a lot of these people with 10, 50, 100,000 followers, and I'd just be a bit wary of their calls. The second thing to be wary of is just jumping on something that has no utility. You can always sleep a bit better if you know that the project you're investing in has a real-world use case and to understand that real-world use case because you're less likely to paper-hand it if you understand exactly what it's it's intending to do as well. So those are two mistakes I would really avoid, which is not understanding the project that you're investing in, and B, does it have some kind of utility to it as well? Great advice. All right, Huff, before we let you go, uh, just one question we ask everyone that comes on the show. Is there anyone out there that you really admire in the space that you want to give a shout out to? I love that question. Yeah. Hmm. So I think there's a lot of people in the crypto education space and they are, they are on Twitter and they're on YouTube in particular. I'm trying to think who's been super influential to my, my kind of journey and understanding. Um, I'll shout out one guy. He was a guy called Shivsack.eth. He's got a Twitter handle and he writes these incredibly long threads just explaining different DeFi protocols. So it's S-H-I-V-S-A-K.eth with infographics as well. And 
anybody who's in that space of educating people without a product per se to sell, they're just doing out of pure, pure love and passion. I have a real admiration for them. He's by no means the only one, but there's a lot of people like that. That's tremendous. We definitely need more crypto educators in this space. So Huff, thank you so much for all your time that you gave us today. And where can we follow you on Twitter to check out all your updates? So you can follow me. I am HuffHouse at HuffHouse9. And I've got a MetaMinds NFT. So it's this like statue of a a, a white kind of bust with the head chopped off. So you'll know it's the right person there. And you might find it interesting to follow me because I trade, I post every trade that we put on in real time. Wow. That's incredible transparency. That's wild. All right, Huff. Well, thank you so much for everything you've done for ReFi, the crypto space, and we're definitely going to keep tabs on you. So thank you so much. And we will see you, Crypt Nation, next week with another great episode. Thank you for having me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.